I'm Susan Branscombe, and this is Leading She. The entire team had gone out for drinks um, and ended up having a great time the night before, and I wasn't even invited. And so immediately, I was young at the time, I thought, well, what's wrong with me? Do they not like me? Why wasn't I invited? Teresa Tanner was an executive with Fifth Third Bank for many years, and she offers a unique perspective on how companies need to look closely at how they support and invest in their employees to build loyalty. She talks about speaking up when we are left out and as women being our own advocates. As Teresa enters a second chapter of her life and has experienced some big changes, she talks about what is now driving her decisions and future. Enjoy listening to Teresa Tanner. So welcome, Teresa. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. Tell me about, uh, we're going to talk about you not being with Fifth Third now. Uh, You left in June of this year, 2019. That's right. But talk about your career. Uh, Give me some background. You were with McDonald's in Chicago at the headquarters for a while and, and then moved to Fifth Third. So tell me about your career. Sure. So I started at McDonald's as a teenager, like so many teenagers do. And at the time, it was just about going out money and gas money and something to do. And I loved it. And very uh, at a very young age, I met a um, big operator. It was actually uh, one of the operators that um, was one of the original uh, founders with Ray Kroc. And okay. uh, he had been at McDonald's from the beginning of the system. And he had grown into... Um, one of the largest operators in the system. And I got really inspired by um, just his tenacity, his business acumen, and um, what they had built. And I kind of got the entrepreneur bug. And so at a young age, I thought I would follow that path of entrepreneurship. And, Great. What year was that? Um, oh, my goodness. That was in the early 80s. So okay. I was a teenager, and I really just kind of dug in and you know, even though I went to school and did some other things, I really had my mind on becoming an operator. And so I ended up spending 18 years with the McDonald's system. Oh, wow. And I thought that the end game would be to own 100 restaurants. That's what I wanted mm-hmm. to do. Um, but I began to do a lot of different things with them, mostly in the operational track. I spent a few years with them in the human capital change management arena. Um, but was working both nationally and internationally with them, and it became very difficult for my family from a travel perspective. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so my priorities and my goals shifted, and I accidentally got introduced to banking. And it's certainly not an industry that I had ever actively sought out or saw myself in. Mm-hmm. Um, How but did it ha- happen accidentally? Really, just a friend called me one day and said, I interviewed for a job at a little bank in Cincinnati, Provident Bank, and Mm -hmm. I'm not the right person, but I told them about you, and you should come talk to them. And at the time, I wasn't really looking for a job, and um, I had been at one company for many years, and it's a a great global company, and and I was learning a lot. Um, But she also knew that traveling was becoming burdensome for me, Mm -hmm. and I went to talk to this bank, really with the attitude that I would do it as a favor to her, but really had no (laughs) intention of ever joining. Pursuing it, Um, But, of course, that road uh, took a different path than I anticipated. I ended up going to work for Provident Bank for just a, a short amount of time before it got sold, Uh, to then National National City. City. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was then that I got an opportunity at Fifth Third, and I thought, well, you know, I've just kind of jumped into this banking pond. Let me um, jump in. And I've ended up spending 15 great career years at Fifth Third. Yeah, Fifth Third is a big employer here, big bank, uh, very hardworking ethic. 
You yes, know? absolutely. And, uh, it's been that way for a long time. Absolutely. A lot is expected with, you know, with employees. Um, and uh, I know a lot of people that have had good long careers yes. at, at Fifth Third. So, yes. uh, and then you were with Fifth Third for 15 years. Tell me about your progression there. So, um, did a lot of different things for Fifth Third as well. And, um Grew through the ranks uh, rather quickly. In 2010 uh, was the first time I was promoted into the C-suite, so became the Chief Human Resources Officer in 2010. Okay. And then uh, a few years later, I began to expand my areas of responsibility. And um, up until my last job as Chief Administrative Officer, I ran eight different divisions within the bank, all of our bank operations, marketing and PR, our real estate, a lot of various different things, about 4,000 people reporting to me Mm -hmm. uh, when I left in June. It's a lot of responsibility. It was a great, great, great job. What were your typical hours in a week or in a day? A lot, you know, so it's a it's a fast paced life. And uh, I worked a lot of days and was out of out of home even a lot of evenings. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a big job and it was a fast paced job, but it was one I really loved. Mm-hmm. And you know, my my next chapter decision had nothing to do with job dissatisfaction. It's a great company. It was mm-hmm. an awesome job. I had great teams, um, but I just felt that it was time to pivot mm-hmm. and move from success to doing something that. Um, was really passionate to me. Good. We're going to talk about that. Uh, tell me a little bit about you personally, where you grew up, uh, married, uh, kids, uh, siblings, your parents. Sure. I actually am uh, what they call an army brat. I grew up in the military and I grew up all over the world. Okay. So uh, we lived um, in various different states across the U.S. We lived in Germany for a while. In fact, my dad had a couple of tours in Germany. Um, he was in Korea. So we we kind of traveled all over. And we settled here in Cincinnati, and we don't have any deep roots in Cincinnati. Both of my parents are from West Virginia, so we don't have any extended family in Cincinnati. And to be honest with you, I never anticipated staying in Cincinnati. Um, there were a lot of other places that either I had experienced growing up or wanted to experience. And I really thought that my life would take me outside of here, but I have really come to appreciate the decision of my father and mother to uh, settle here and okay. to retire here. It's a great city, and mm-hmm. I, in turn, have uh, raised my children here. I have two children, married mm-hmm. to Tim, and I have two children, uh, a 28-year-old daughter, a 25-year-old son. Both are still living and working in the city, which I'm delighted about. Oh, that's great. You have them here. Yes. Any grandchildren? I just had my first grandchild. Ah, I am so excited. She just turned one, and uh, I I am just having a blast being a grandma. Yeah. Oh, me too. I have two uh, grandsons, Grayson and Griffin, who it's are five and best. three. It is the best. It's wonderful. Uh, I miss them. They, uh, they're four hours away, but we get to see them enough. Uh, not enough, but uh, plenty. That's terrific. So it's great to be a grandmother. Yeah. Uh, so siblings, um, uh, did your mom work? My mom both worked in and out of the home. Um, the jobs that she worked were mostly part-time and while we were in school. Um, so although, you know, I have a very hardworking mom, she worked very hard at home, and she always tried to have some kind of part-time side hustle mm-hmm. uh, to bring extra income in. Um, but we grew up with um, having a mom who worked some and stayed home a lot. Okay. And siblings? I have five siblings, so there's six of us. I'm okay. second in order. And mm-hmm. uh, most of those siblings have also settled in Cincinnati. I have one out in Seattle, Washington, but most are here local. Good. And uh, you're married? I am married. Married okay. to Tim. 
Okay. Married yeah. to Tim. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Uh, where did you go to school? Uh, I went to Pensacola Christian College, and then I got my MBA at Xavier okay. here in town. All right. Great. And then, so you did work with McDonald's headquarters in Chicago. I did. Right? So you, But you had roots here in Cincinnati. I didn't That's realize right. that. That's okay. right. All right. That's great. Right. So I commuted to Chicago quite a bit. Good. And uh, yeah. that was a lot of travel. Yeah. Was your dad a, a, a role model for you being in the Army? Did he have, you know, managerial responsibilities? Uh, and did you see that? Did you get anything from that? Certainly. Leadership? Um, my dad was... Um, very much a, a strong um, presence in our family and a great leader. And, you know, I think he had a lot of values that he instilled in us, both from his faith and his career. And um, whether it was his faith or his military background, um, he believed in integrity and hard work and um, teams. Um, he believed in building into other people and lifting other people up. Um, he um, believed in um, being true to yourself and mm -hmm. being strong and independent, um, and he raised us to to think that way. And you know, being raised, I also my siblings. I have four brothers and one sister, so okay. you know, being raised with a lot of boys also helped mm -hmm. um, shape me into to the leader I am today. Yeah, and understand the male male culture. That's right. Yeah, and um, are your parents alive? My father passed away a few years ago. I'm sorry. Thank you. And that, that was tough. We miss him every day. And my mm -hmm. mom um, is still doing very well and uh, here with us in town. Good. Fantastic. Well, let's go to your career shift here. Uh, you had been with Fifth Third Bank for many years, and you made a pretty drastic career change this year. Uh, and it happened around your 50th birthday. Um, tell me what happened leading up to that and why you decided to make the shift, and and we'll talk about what you're doing now. Sure, sure. The decision um, for me, Susan, was not a sudden one. It, it is one that I'd been contemplating for a couple of years, but I also knew and had planned for many, many years that when I turned 50, I would go away for a week by myself. And I just thought that 50th birthday was a great mid-life-ish point to just stop, stop doing everything, and just be still and silent and just take stock of, of how things were going. And, and that's not just from a career, but from a health perspective, mm -hmm. relationally, just all of those different aspects of life to just pause and say, how do I feel about the progress I'm making? Mm -hmm. And are there any course corrections that need to be made? Um, and so I had done a lot of thinking and preparing and reading um, prior to that week, but I had a lot of expectations um, around getting some clarity on things that week, and and I did. Mm -hmm. I really did. And when I came out of that week, um, my career was one of those things that I realized, although I had an awesome career, I, and I really did. I loved my job, loved the company. Um, I also knew that there was no other job I wanted at that uh, institution mm -hmm. or institutions like that. Mm -hmm. um, I had reached and achieved um, so many things, and I was so grateful for that. I had got the titles I wanted, the pay I wanted, the money I wanted, the awards I wanted, mm -hmm. all of those things that I had been seeking throughout my career I had achieved. And so I was at a, um, a fork in the road, and I had to decide, do I want to just settle in and keep doing you know, a good job that I should be very grateful for for the next 15, 20 years? Um, or do I want to take this opportunity to leap and just do something completely different? 
And for me, I I'm not really a settle in kind of person. I <laughs> I I want to grow. That. I want to grow, and I want to learn. And I knew Be that challenged. if I. Right. And mm-hmm. I knew if I just settled into a job I knew well, that sure, mm-hmm. there would be some incremental learning along the way, but my rate of learning would go way down. And mm-hmm. um, I really wanted to continue to stretch myself, to grow, to make a difference. And there were so many things at Fifth Third that I did that I was passionate about, um, but they were they were things um, – I only had so many day or hours in the day. And right. um, now I have so much more freedom and liberty. Right. To spend all day on those things, which is really fun. Oh, it's really, yeah, it's great. So you decide to go away. You're at a silent retreat. And you and I have talked about this. Uh, We both have a spiritual side. Uh, Did you get messages from the universe? Did you pray? And I assume you prayed. And and did you get messages that you didn't expect about where you go from here? I did. And, you know, so, you know, my faith is I, I believe in God and I pray and um, I do try to align um, my path uh, with his. So that's just yeah. who I am. And, and I'm not ashamed to say that. Um, so I did, as I reflected that week, um, felt um, some nudges on things. And, you know, my career was one of those things. And there were other personal things. Um, that I felt nudges on. And I just feel very grateful to be in a situation where I can follow those nudges mm-hmm. and see where they lead. And I don't have all of the answers. So a lot of it is stepping out in faith and, mm-hmm. you know, just jumping off that platform without really knowing what the future holds. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't do so in fear. I do so with eager anticipation. And I'm just really excited. Yeah, I'm excited for you. Thanks. Yeah. Did did you make the change right away? Did you let it settle in with the messages you got, the the realizations, the nudges you got during that time? Did you did you come back to the bank and say, "Look, I'm going to do this other thing," or did you kind of let it settle and think about it for a while? Well, certainly, I uh, I let it simmer, but I began talking to um, you know my peers and and leader at the mm-hmm. bank. So you know, even our CEO. This, you know, my my retreat was last year, so that was in 2018. So it was okay. a full year before I actually announced that I left, and I wanted to leave and transition in a way that um, would would set the bank up for success as well. Sure. And so it was a very collaborative effort, and I think you know it also says a lot about our CEO and um, the culture of Fifth Third now to um, really help people achieve their goals, whatever mm-hmm. they are, in a very collaborative way. So I just so appreciate the support and leadership I saw from my leader through this journey as well, to be able to have these open conversations mm-hmm. um, and to help support me and and I in turn support them in the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, That's great. So that we could make this transition. Right. So they didn't say, oh, no, you can't leave. You can't. What are you doing? You know, they they supported you and said, absolutely. Okay, well, uh, help us, you know, do the succession planning here and that's we right. will support you. That's really great. That's right. Um, so tell me what you're doing now. I think it's really interesting. I read your blog, and mm-hmm. I kind of see the direction you're going. You just were appointed to a, boy, a board, Ms. Medicine. Yes. I'd like to hear more about your board work and uh, any nonprofit kind of thing you're doing. What's your? What do you want to do? What What is it you're doing now? And I see a lot of you know women support in your blog. Well, supporting women and lifting women is certainly um, my driving passion. I uh, I think we still have so much work to do, Susan, and I get so discouraged when I read articles that will achieve gender parity in 200 years. 
um, that's just that's unacceptable. And quite frankly, I'm concerned that we won't even achieve it then um, unless we step back and break some fundamental systems and processes that mm-hmm. are in place. Um, because continuing to make very slow incremental progress doing what we're doing today with the ingredients we're using today we're not going to get anywhere. And so I feel grateful that I have some experiences that I can leverage to bring new thinking to the table Mm -hmm. on this issue. Um, And that's what I'm doing right now. So I am spending a lot of time just really understanding what are some of those social and systemic issues and how do we uh, work on this. And there's a lot of people out there working in this space, and I'm trying to figure out um, how can I bring a unique lens and solution to it. Uh, so that's what I've been mm-hmm. spending every day on. Okay. So are you, you're doing this work, are you doing it with companies or how are you, how are you with the changes that need to be made? And I agree with you. I think there are a lot of systemic uh, social norms within companies that, that uh, where there's gender bias and we don't always see it. And, and men who are mostly in power don't always see it. So how, are you advising companies or what are you doing with this work? Well, right now, I am circling around a solution that I'll bring to market. Okay. Um, and that solution will um, have to be driven in large part through corporations, right? Mm-hmm. That's where the opportunities are and um, the economic backing behind it. And so definitely, um, you know, the business community needs to get involved. But this solution also is going to need collaboration with the social services. It's also going to need collaboration with our education system mm-hmm. um, because um, uh, the education um, of yesterday, I don't believe, is going to be the education needed in the future. Yeah, at the college level, you mean? Or college level and school? continuing education okay. and um, different types of education for different life phases. Mm-hmm. And um, we don't have that now. We mm-hmm. have very laddered up discrete education, and mm-hmm. we have to become more of a learning um, society, and businesses have to interact with the education system differently in the future. Mm-hmm. Good. I look forward to seeing your work there. Uh, you uh, provided one of the reasons I wanted to interview you is uh, after my interview with Tilly Hidalgo Lima, and I know you are good friends. Sure. And, uh, you put together. Um, I'd like to know how this maternity concierge service began at Fifth Third. What what led up to it, and then you and Tilly collaborated with Best Upon Request, her company, and uh, something happened where you had decided that this was needed in in the bank. And tell me what led up to it. Tell me about it. It got some national attention and mm-hmm. just want to hear, you know, hear about this and how it worked. Sure. So a couple of things. First of all, um, what I was seeing in the data um, is is very similar to what all companies see is that at lower levels of the organization, you have a very rich, diverse pool. And there's a lot of equity, but you get to that mid-career level and all of a sudden, um, the numbers completely um, invert, right? And Meaning that there are more men than women at the mid-level? Or? Yes, yes. Okay. So, so there's like this, there's this cliff drop-off mm-hmm. of participation, um, of gender among participation women. among more right. women. And you say data, that's, that's from a survey? It's just it's just looking at the data, looking of, at the data of how many people you have at every level of the organization, mm-hmm. right? And right. this is this is not a um, you know a single company phenomena. This is this happens all yes. across all companies, I'm right? A, I'm aware, right? So <laughs> this is this is this is what happened. So I, I I began seeing it in our data, and I started digging in. Okay, why? Like, is it the pull through rate? Is it participation? And I was seeing a lot of women leave 
the workforce at that time. And most of that, not all, but a lot of that was correlated with family planning and having children and figuring out how to juggle all those things. Um, so really started to think about how I could could help with that. And then I had a focus group with women one day, and there was quite a bit of women I was talking to, or and um, I began kind of bragging about everything we were doing in the workplace, and here's all the things available to you, and here are all the benefits. And one brave woman raised her hand, and she said, you know, Teresa, that's all great, but that's not my life. And I said, well, you know what? Then tell me what your life is. Mm-hmm. And and she really began to talk to me about how challenging it was to even have that first baby and work and being pregnant for the first time in the workforce and even what that meant. And then um, our short-term disability policies and our leave policies and paternity leave and how sometimes that was helpful and sometimes it wasn't. And then that first year back, how hard it was oh, yeah. and the emotions and the extra work and and I said, you know, I said, I want to know more about that. It's been a long time since I've been in that that position. And so I then started breaking off and learning and listening more. And um, I did get a greater appreciation for this is hard. And yeah. this is such a, a pivotal decision moment of can I make this or not? Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know what? We have a responsibility and an opportunity to step in and say, let us give you a little bit of help during this critical time. Oh, I'm getting goosebumps. This so is so cool. It was it was just an amazing breakthrough. And I, I remember having um, breakfast with Tilly. And I said, you know, I know you do this general concierge thing. But what if when a woman got pregnant, we kind of gave her her own personal assistant. We said, all right, here's your person now. You need your groceries done. They're going to go shop oh for gosh. you. You want your baby shower plan? She's got it or he's got it for you. Um, you want, um, you know, to help research, you know, the best kind of breast pump or, you yep. know, everything you need as a new mom, we're going to help you do that. And by the way, we're going to stay by your side for a year. So until your child turns a year, we're your person and we're mm-hmm. going to be on you. And again, every employee at um, the bank and every employee that uses Tilly's service has general concierge. But this model became very specific and specialized. We wanted deep knowledge on this issue of child mm-hmm. um, bearing and pregnancy and maternity. Um, and we wanted it to be more of a push service than you call us. No, it was somebody that was going to be your person. They're going to be wow. calling you and delivering saltines to your your desk because surely you must you know need those. Yeah, um, morning sickness, morning sickness, all day sicknesses so, I had. So it was really great. And then um, we began to measure our results, and you know we saw a twenty five percent reduction in turnover mm. of women um, in their first year. Um, after returning from maternity leave. So Fantastic. it was a significant outcome very quickly, and mm-hmm. it was really, really great to see. So you brought it into the bank, and then you're you're showing the bank folks that would be making the decision to spend the money uh, with Tilly's company, and and you had to show them some data or some support that we should spend money on this. Right. Did you meet resistance around that, or were they saying, yes, well, spend the money to have all of our pregnant women have an assistant uh, through pregnancy in the first year. Did you meet any resistance? Not really. No. I, I really mm. got a lot of support. Um, and by that time, the the overall concierge program had been proven out. And okay. we had seen the value that that was adding. And, um, you know, I was just really proud to work with a team um, of people who really did care about diversity mm-hmm. and, and wanted to try new things. And so... 
Um, it had never been done before, and it was just a new idea and a risk, but I really appreciated the support. We mm -hmm. got to try it, and right. it worked. That's fantastic. I remember uh, at the bank, I worked at Bank One in 1986 mm -hmm. uh, when I was pregnant with my daughter, and I had terrible, not only morning sickness, but it was throughout the day. And mm -hmm. um, at the bank, w there was a group of women all about my age, and we waited to tell you know, the bank that we were expecting. Mm -hmm. And I remember the rubber band I put around my skirt, you know, the, mm -hmm. with the button mm -hmm. over to the hole because right. my midriff was expanding. But right. finally told them, I think I was maybe two and a half, three months. And mm -hmm. uh, they said, oh, we knew because you weren't drinking coffee, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I wasn't drinking coffee. I guess you figured it out. Plus my midriff is is getting larger. But I just remember that it wasn't something I, I felt like I needed to let the bank know that I was still motivated in my career. I was coming back and that they didn't need to worry about me. So anything like morning sickness or the time I took off and all of mm -hmm. that, I downplayed. Right. And what I see in this is there's a real freedom to be honest and transparent about this is a change in my life. I'm a woman. I'm, I'm building a family. I still want to work. And, and, the, and the bank supported them. You know, that is such a fabulous point because... Um, it does bring the conversation out into the open. Mm -hmm. And what we saw as an unexpected side benefit, um, a cultural benefit with this maternity concierge uh, group was it then gave us a platform to educate managers, both men and women, on here's how you can be supportive during this time. We have mm -hmm. this new benefit. And here are some things you should say. Here are some things you should not say. So, yes. you know, things like, oh, are you planning to come back to work after the baby? That would be yeah. on the don't say list. Don't say it. Um, but we had never had really a catalyst mm -hmm. to train our managers. And this was perfect because as yeah. we launched this, we started hearing some of these things. And we thought, oh, my gosh, what a great opportunity um, to change the culture and bring this into the open. Right? Sure. Like, let's mm -hmm. just, yeah, let's talk about we now have a benefit to ship breast milk. Like, yeah. that should not be something we're embarrassed to talk about. It should right. be something we're proud to talk about. Yes. Right? right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, those are the type of things that when they stay hidden, mm -hmm. they don't get they don't get attention. And therefore, things don't change. Right. right? They don't change. Right. And, and that unconscious bias continues to... Um, to be uh, fed because mm -hmm. we don't have a new normal. And this allows us to get the new normal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the unconscious bias you're talking about. Uh, we talked about this. You were in HR for so many years. Um, and your view on how companies look at families needing time off, men and women, mm -hmm. around child rearing, around uh, aging parents. And you talked about the downturn in 08, 09, which mm -hmm. was a big deal for banks. Oh, yeah. A big, big deal. Yeah, yeah. Um, what do you think has changed over the years? And why, why did it change? Um, and what's, what's the future of cultures of uh, big banks, big corporations around working with men and women to, you know, support them as they have changes in their lives around this? Well, I think we have to to do several things. And... Um, you know, I often say that we'll never really achieve gender equality for women until we achieve gender equality for men. Um, and that's a little bit of a, a, a bold and controversial statement. But what I mean by that, Susan, is, you know, sometimes we, we get um, resentful around some of the biases that women are the the caregivers and women are responsible for the housework. Well, at the same time, 
we also don't have equal paternity leave benefits for fathers. Mm -hmm. You know, fathers need that time with their new baby just like a mom does. But all companies don't offer that to fathers. Mm -hmm. And when they do, we start, again, recreating a culture that, no, child child care and and being a caretaker is is a manly thing as well as well mm-hmm. as a womanly thing, right? right. Yeah. Um, and there's so, the Family Leave Act, but you're talking about paid leave. Paid leave, absolutely. Right. Um, or you know, another another sa- uh, example is we made the decisions, my my husband and I, that he would stay home with the kids. Oh. He would leave his career and stay home with the kids. And you know, Susan, for a while, we were afraid to tell people that because oh. there was so much social judgment. Right. Well, again, the more we take some of those things out of the dark and bring them to the light mm-hmm. and say, no, then we create a new normal, right? Yes. No, uh, choosing to stay home is not only a choice that a mom can make. It can also be a choice a dad makes. Mm-hmm. And we are never going to break through some of that unconscious bias until we create new normals. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have to talk more about those Mm -hmm. things. Companies have to look and say, okay, how can we um, drive some of that bias out Mm -hmm. by how we're treating men Mm -hmm. as well as how we're treating women? Right. Mm -hmm. And the bank uh, and many banks were like this and many companies were like this before the recession where it's like drive sales, drive revenue. Mm -hmm. And then the downturn, it's like, you know, somebody turned the lights out. I mean, it was a very tough time. Um, But it's kind of like, okay, employees and customers. Mm-hmm. That's how, we, if we make them happy, mm-hmm. then the revenues and sales will follow. So how do we make employees happy? How do we make customers happy? So you saw that. I did. And, and you know, I think banking in general, um, you know, if you look pre-crisis, um, you know, it was a different economic time and it was kind of uh, the rah-rah years for banking. And Fifth Third in particular was known for its great sales culture um, which was a great thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, uh, it was a very strong um, sales-driven, production-driven um, culture, and and it was um, a real benefit and market leader. And a lot of our competitors really envied Fifth Third for that. Um, but as we uh, matured as a bank and grew as a bank, we also saw that um, we needed to continue to make more investments in our communities, in our employees, in our customers. Um, so that that value um, could be sustainable over time. And it's been Mm -hmm. really fun over the last 10 or 15 years to see this industry um, really step up and Mm -hmm. redefine banking uh, Mm -hmm. post-crisis. And I I was really excited to be part of that transformation. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was, you know, although I kind of looked back at it and said, wow, you picked a heck of a time to join this industry. um, It's really been fun, too, to help reshape this industry. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm just excited for this industry in the future. I think there's so many more opportunities. But um, mm-hmm. we did have to learn to spend a lot more time um, investing in our our other key stakeholders. Right. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Uh, we talked about uh, gender bias, and we both have long careers uh, uh, around and, and have seen a lot of things, have, have felt the gender bias. Um, and there have been... St- Plenty of stories in this podcast around uh, being talked over in meetings, mm-hmm, people taking sure. your ideas and that kind of thing. Give me a, a gender bias story that might be helpful to the listeners and and what you did or what 
you know, maybe not what you did, but these things happen. And like you say, unconscious bias or maybe overt bias. Uh, sure. Give me a story. Well, you know, one thing that comes to mind is just um, situations in which people made assumptions about your desires, motivations, commitment level, things like that. And one one time in particular, I, I remember being on an all-male team, which, you know, I have I have found myself on many times <laughs> over my career. Yes. Um, and uh, I had found out the next day because I heard them talking about some things that had happened the night before. And by the conversation, I had pieced together that the entire team had gone out for drinks um, and ended up having a great time the night before. And I wasn't even invited. And so immediately, I was young at the time, I thought, well, what's wrong with me? Do they not like me? Why wasn't I invited? And right. uh, one of my buddy peers on the team, I, I kind of went to him and I said, what's up? Like, all of you guys went out. You didn't invite me. Uh, is it me? Did I do something? And they're like, oh, gosh, no, Teresa. No, it's not you. But we just assumed, you know, you usually pick your kids up from daycare that, you know, you would have to go home to be with your kids. Um, and, you know, that really just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, look, you didn't make any assumptions about anyone else. And some of my male peers have kids, too. Right. Yes, right. And you did not jump to those conclusions with them. Yes. Um, but it was an opportunity for me to educate and say, you know, I appreciate that your intent was um, to do something that you thought I wanted. Um, but in the future, don't make assumptions about my intentions. Right. Ask me, and I'll tell you um, mm -hmm. if I'm available or not. But I see so often that, again, it may be unintentional, but whether it's being left out for that important networking mm -hmm. um, time or that promotion or that mm -hmm. opportunity to travel, you know, so often decisions are being made for us Yes, um, that shouldn't be made. Right. Based on assumptions that may or may not be true. That's right. You know, will she relocate? Well, what does her husband do? Well, right. you don't say that about the, the guy, you know, often. Right. And, um, you know, is she motivated? Is she is she committed? And, and that kind of thing based on her, her home life. I had a story and this was in the 80s. I was on a large bank floor. It was a commercial loan floor. And it was in real estate. And the guys all my age would gather and go to lunch. Like, Where do you want to go? Where do you want to go? And they'd all like, you know, there'd be about seven or eight of them, you know, right next to my desk. And I'd, I'd look up and I would kind of wait for them to invite me. And they wouldn't. I mean, they're mm -hmm. right next to my desk. They're all saying, where do we go? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm at the same level they, as they are. And I came home and told my husband, I'm like, they gather around me and go to lunch and they don't ask me to go. Right. Know? And he says, the one guy who asks you to go is the guy who who's going to feel like he has to entertain you. I'm mm, like, really? That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting. And so I've remembered that. Um, but, you know, I mean, to be bold, I, I could, I suppose I could stand up and say, where are we going? Why don't we go here? You know? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't do that at 25 years old, 27. Sure. What are the things, you were an HR, a big, big uh, responsible job executive uh, with the bank. Um, what are the, the biggest things you think women uh, that are holding uh, women back in corporations today? You know, we talk about the lean in thing. You need, you know, that women have responsibility for their, their careers. But what are the things within corporations? What are mistakes that you see women making um, that, that you could give advice on or ideas? If I had to pick one thing, um, it would be women need to use their voices more. Mm. 
Um, I see so many missed opportunities of really smart, talented women um, that I know have opinions and I know have value to add. And they come into a meeting and they don't say a word. Mm. Um, And I know that um, when you are in situations where you are the only woman in the room or there are very few women and there are very assertive aggressive speakers, um, Mm -hmm. that that can be hard, but women have to get their voice out Mm -hmm. there. And um, especially when um, you have something to add, um, there's there's so few opportunities to really get that in, and and women just need to use their voice more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, We've talked in this podcast about that, like speaking lower um, speaking up, speaking louder, because men often have loud voices and in, in meetings and things. But um, I, I have often given my opinion. I, it hasn't always been received, you know, the way maybe a man's opinion would. But you know, I think that's great advice. Um, and and not only speaking up in meeting. When I say voice, it's definitely that, right? Mm-hmm. It is making sure that you're heard and making sure that your ideas are out there and you take ownership and um, that you take credit for your ideas as well. But it's also using your voice to advocate for yourself, right? Mm -hmm. So have a voice, have a voice in your career. Don't let someone else, again, going back to people making decisions and assumptions about your motivation level and what you want out of your career. Don't let people answer that question for you. Mm -hmm. Advocate for yourself, network, um, but be your voice and mm-hmm. don't expect somebody else to be your voice. And, mm-hmm. and you know, that's a touchy situation, too, because I hear a lot about mentors and sponsors. We need sponsors so that, you know, I have somebody advocating for me. That's great. I, I love that. But advocate for yourself. Advocate you know, for yourself. Do not, yeah. do not place your destiny in somebody else's hands. Have have a voice. Yeah, that is wonderful advice. And, um, you know, I think, uh, I think many women uh, will... You know, as long as I come in here and do a good job, they will promote me. They'll give me the right. raise that I deserve, you know. And, Heads down, doing yeah, a good job. And right. we've learned, you know, right. I learned early that no matter how hard I worked, I, I still needed to speak up for myself. That's right. You know, bring into the review my accomplishments. Uh, if I disagree with a rating, I, I will tell them. I'll let them know I want that next job, you know, um, if it come, becomes available, that kind of thing. So, yeah, we also talked about women... Um, uh, you know, and this this is a general statement. Not all women do this, but sometimes we apologize for things we mm-hmm. over-explain. Mm-hmm. Did you talk about that? Yeah, I, I, the over-explain thing resonates with me. I uh, I remember a situation in particular where um, I had a a female employee and very hardworking, um, great producer, great performer, a lot of lot of potential and. Um, I would notice that any time she would need to fluctuate her schedule in any way, maybe she needed to come in late or leave early, um, I got a really long story. I got, oh, you know, my kid was playing on the playground yesterday and he fell and he broke his tooth and now I have to go to the dentist and the dentist can only get him in at 8 o'clock. I tried to get an evening appointment, but I couldn't get an evening appointment mm-hmm. and on and on it goes. And so, therefore, I will be in by 9 o'clock tomorrow. Now, I didn't care. I didn't care about any of that. Mm -hmm. And um, I think sometimes I see it, again, not to overgeneralize, more with women than men Mm -hmm. um, who 
feel like they have to explain any deviation in their schedule, any deviation in how they would approach something. Um, And I would really encourage women to um, just be confident in your decision making. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to overexplain. So when I say use your voice, also know when not to use your voice. Not to use your voice, right? You don't need to explain. It's like I've got a personal thing I need to take care of in the morning. Right. Be in by nine. Right. I mean, it, very simply, just tell your tell your boss, hey, I, I have a, a, mm-hmm. a commitment I need to take care of. I'll be in by nine. If you need me, my cell phone will be on. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Done. Mm-hmm. Move on. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, final question um, as we wrap up here. You left uh, Fifth Third in June of 2019, this year. And as you were preparing for Chapter 2, uh, I know you mentioned last week at a a dinner we were both attending that you got some health news. Um, Tell me about that. And this was since you left Fifth Third. Tell me me about that. Sure. So I jumped off that platform in June and uh, was really excited about it and immediately uh, started digging in and um, trying to figure out how I would pivot and and help women. Um, About three months after I left, I um, was diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm. Sorry. it's okay, and it was caught early, early. and I am super, super excited about that, um, and I've already been through treatment, and um, I have no reason to worry about breast cancer in the future again, so mm. I'm very excited about that. Um, but I learned I learned a lot through that journey, uh, to be honest with you, and one of the things that I learned is um, it, my, my initial reaction was even interesting to me because I I am a pretty authentic person and um, I lean in um, to vulnerability and uh, what you see is usually what you get with me. Um, But with that, uh, my immediate reaction was to hide it, Mm -hmm. to not tell people. Keep it to yourself. Keep it to myself. Don't let people know. And and as I examined my reaction to that, I think it was motivated by I didn't want people to misunderstand that maybe that was the reason I had left the bank. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, because was... interestingly enough, I had people ask me if I had a health issue when I left. People right. couldn't fathom just right. leaving a great career and and jumping yeah. into the unknown. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't want any of that. And then I also just didn't want to be seen as weak. I didn't want people to again, make assumptions Mm -hmm. through unconscious bias about what I was capable of in the future. So all of these emotions came to play, and it was really interesting for me to even step back and examine them and say, you know, that's just not who you are. And then I began to think of things like Ms. Medicine, a board that I had just Mm. joined. And, you know, Lisa Larkin is doing amazing work for women, Mm. and she is really pushing the envelope around we need better um, data-driven medicine for women, and mm-hmm. we need unique health care for women, and she's blazing new grounds, how could I not be the advocate and spokesperson around women's health and, mm-hmm. you know, telling women, hey, you're not too busy for the mammogram. Right. You're not, right? right? Get in there and get it done. Right. Early prevention matters. That's and right. by the way, you can assess your risk if mm-hmm. you know how to talk to your doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, you know, this is not responsible. I... I have an opportunity to tell a story to help other women. Right. Um, but it did bring to light for me, you know, these are the things that that we struggle with, right? Mm-hmm. It is being vulnerable and and how do you balance worrying about those unconscious biases that are real, mm-hmm. but also 
um, living an authentic life right. and using your life experiences to lift other people mm -hmm. and to inspire other people, mm -hmm. to motivate other people, to teach other people. We have that responsibility as well. No, I agree. I agree with that. And it's interesting that you thought the diagnosis, if people learned about it, would would uh, make you feel weak. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. That's how what we think. We need to be strong. We're not sick, you know, and right. people uh, uh, shouldn't make assumptions about our, our health, right? Right, and right. So, um, but I'm glad you're healthy. I'm glad you found it early and uh, excited to see what you're going to do next. Me too. Because I think there are some big things out there for you. So let me know how I can support you. Thank you. Thanks for coming in. Oh, thank yeah. you. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening today. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review. Follow us on Instagram at Leading She. And visit our website, leadingshe.com, where we have many great ideas for women leaders.